It was a big week for artificial intelligence news as OpenAI launches customizable GPTs. Elon Musk launches a sarcastic AI, and the actor strike is over with some protection against the threat of AI replacements. We'll talk about these stories and other technology news on this episode of Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. I'm also happy to introduce a new guest co-host for the next month or so. Uh, welcome, Jeremy Duvall. He is a longtime engineer, a contributor a contributor to InfoWorld and other publications within our uh, Foundry universe. And he's also the founder and CEO of Seven Factor Software. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, team. I appreciate it. Yeah, I don't know how I uh, was able to convince you to join as a co-host, but it is this experiment I want to do where I have a rotating set of, of guest co-hosts to do these news roundups. Now, for uh, fans of, of Chris, who uh, is our director, he is still here. So uh, let's let's say hi to Chris. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Yeah. See, and so um, <laughs> he's going to pop in every now and then if, if there's something on his mind that he wants to talk about. Uh, but it is a, a new idea where we're going to try to get some additional voices. And, and, and you, Jeremy, as a longtime uh, software engineer, developer, you're right in the heart of uh, kind of the world of geekery that is uh, to technology. Excited to be here. All yes, right. for sure. And we may get a we may get an appearance from your uh, your dog uh, Luna, Looney, Luna. Yeah, Luna. She's yeah. a seventy pound Weimaraner chilling in my her under her bed over here in the corner. So all right. she might make her appearance. All right, cool. And so let's just let's jump into a, a lot of the news from this week. Uh, it was a very big week in uh, the world of AI. Uh, OpenAI, which makes ChatGPT, held its uh, developer conference. So uh, now at this announcement, they uh, say that they're going to be releasing a platform for making custom versions of ChatGPT for specific use cases without any coding required. So within the coming weeks, these AI agents, which OpenAI is calling GPTs, will be accessible through the GPT store. It feels like that they're trying to create like an Apple store environment for the development of these things. Uh, details about how the store will look and work are scarce for now, although OpenAI is promising to eventually pay creators an unspecified amount based on how much their GPTs are used. GPTs will be available to paying GPT Plus subscribers and OpenAI enterprise customers who can make internal-only GPTs for their employees. Uh, so, so Jeremy, what, what do you think of this, this idea as a developer and as someone who's seen this space, uh, before, you know, is this a good thing or is this, is this going to muddy the waters for a lot of the companies out there that are trying to develop their, their AI, uh, strategies? Yeah. First, I think no coding required is a bit of a bait and switch there. Um, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. somebody has to write code to make it work. I'm sorry. Even if you're like using an existing model. Uh, which is a common thing in these types of of sort of app store plug and play sort of thing. So it, I, I'm skeptical on the no coding required apart from just configuring the GPT to do like a, a persona that's X and Y and Z and that produces output based on whatever you tell it to do. But I, I think honestly, this is a really, really cool idea um, because you're providing an ecosystem of a really powerful technology uh -huh. uh, that I everyone like LinkedIn for the first 10 minutes of AI was like all a buzz and everyone was like salivating over this new technology that's going to replace everyone and turn us all into, you know, robots and cyborgs. But honestly, I, we know that's not true. We know that AI is basically math uh, that, that does a really good job at guessing yep. um, how to how to talk to and interact with other human beings. But from, from a business perspective, this is actually a very cool idea because it allows 
for people to configure specific service provider GPTs that can um, interface with humans in a certain way, which to me is really the whole sexy part of these GPTs is they have one-upped the um, the interface between humans and computers, right? Because I can ask it a question and it will write me an out-of-office email in the tune of Snoop Dogg. Like it can do really, really cool things right. with little to no effort, which is the, the power. And, and by producing a uh, a store that can meet my needs. Uh, I think that's actually quite brilliant. Yeah, I think t- I, I looked into some of the uh, types of GPTs that that might be offered. And for example, one was like a sous chef type of GPT. So if you wanted to create a a chat GPT on cooking and things like that, you could use that. Um, what what what's different from the other types of I called it the multiverse of of GPTs. We did an episode probably about two or three months ago where we talked about this idea of companies grabbing different topics of GPTs to um, to build their little niche GPTs again to save a lot of costs so i i think what they're doing is they're they're taking the subset of their large language model this huge one and then just grabbing the information only related yeah. to that topic uh, right but it's not necessarily i'm not sure if it's walling it off completely so you still might be able to ask the sous chef gpt to to write that email so I'm not sure if I, I guess I don't know I I'd, I'd have to dig into it a little bit more, but that uh, yeah I I think walling it off would be smart though because I mean in the article it talks about a creative writing coach right you can give it a PDF it yeah. opens it up and it kind of gives you some interesting feedback on the PDF that you provided it and and GPT's been able to do this for a while you provide cues right mm-hmm. on what you want it to do I, I think it would be smart to wall it off if I were the product guys sitting in OpenAI because that would allow me to really role play with this artificial intelligence, which to be frank, that's the thing everybody really likes about it. People, you know, again, sort of think Skynet and we're all dead and it's going to become sentient and, you know, explode a nuclear device. Who knows where? No, that's not not really what this is, right? GPT is just doing math and guessing what the next best word is to feed to you to make you happy and excited about working with it. So it's a lot of smoke and mirrors around a large language model, which is a very sophisticated and very cool piece of technology. But it's really we're just talking about putting skins on the same exact idea of providing you feedback and, you know, structuring it in a way that you and I can read that and understand that this is a computer, but it's talking to me in my language, Uh, which is something that we just never seen before. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, go ahead. Yeah. I see this as kind of like, um, chat GPT's first step in kind of like productizing it to like the masses where like, like what you said, a skin, right. You can kind of tailor it, you know, to what the user wants and, I don't know. It, that's how I see it. It's kind of like their first step into like the the overall like global market. I think. Yeah, uh, J- Jeremy, do you do you see a downside of or or any potential downsides of OpenAI doing this? Um, could the answers that you get from one GPT might be different from an, from another one if they're somewhat similar. Do you have the uh, a chance for more hallucinations versus less, or is is that is, am I just assuming the worst? I would guess the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> I, I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um. So, but it does make sense that 
you know, it, teaching a, a chat GPT to be a sous chef and then asking them a question about, you know, 15th century British literature. Like, would that actually do anything? I, I don't know. But at the yeah. end of the day, I do think that you have to be careful about the personas that you build. Because remember, the people that are going to be using chat BT, GPT that are going to be getting excited about it are folks that are your average human beings, like my grandma, right, that wants to to basically use what I call Google Plus Plus these days, where you talk to chat GPT and you ask it, how, you know, find me a recipe on building a sheet cake, right? That's that has a chocolate icing or, or build me a recipe. And it's going to use all this information that it sort of steals from foodnetwork.com and sorts out <laughs> the best way to kind of give you this recipe. How is that any different from going to foodnetwork.com and just typing in sheet cake right. recipe? Right? Right. It's not. Yeah. The sexy part of it is the conversation that I'm having with a computer and it's providing me information in a way that I just naturally and psychologically can parse appropriately. So the hallucinations are actually more dangerous in this case because I'm going to trust, you know, my grandma's going to trust that that sheet cake is good uh, until she cooks it and it falls apart and it's terrible. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I have not yet trusted a uh, an AI generated recipe just yet. Um, Don't. <laughs> I did try. I, I did try it to create a new uh, alcohol drink, um, but then I think after I saw the ingredients, I then went and, and experimented with an actual bartender. Uh, who then was able to mix it correctly uh, so that it it didn't like knock me out on the first sip. Uh, so that was pretty impressive. Um, nice. Back to this no coding thing. It, it, it you know does do you think we might get closer to where someone like me with no coding experience could could eventually do it, or there is still going to be a learning curve? So you know, like you know, your grandma necessarily won't won't be doing the um, coding for any of these things, right? So this is probably, I'm probably going to out myself as an old crotchety millennial developer screaming at clouds. That's okay. Use the word That's okay. No That's code, right. You're in good territory. Uh, <laughs> no, no code to me is a bit of, of it's a bit of smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Uh, and I won't go into that, but for this particular idea, I think that it's, it's actually good to open this type of technology and make it accessible. I'm definitely not advocating for, you know, developers as this elite group of people and, you know, we're the folks behind the curtain and we're the only people that can see how the sausage is made. But mm -hmm. to a degree, when you provide a low code platform to anyone, you are doing that. You're saying, look, you have to trust that the building blocks that I create that you string together with little arrows in your interface produces something interesting on the back end. And you have to be able to trust that that thing is in fact what I expect it to be. So I think it's powerful and I think it's cool, but I think the feature set is probably going to be fairly limited as with most of these no-code frameworks. You can only do a certain set of things with it before you have to start getting into API calls and understanding under the covers how certain interfaces interact with one another and so right. on and so forth. Right. So I think right. for like my grandma, yeah, she could go build like her own food network GPT, pretty straightforward, and that'd be a cool thing. But would that, you know, provide an amazing amount of value to a community and to a marketplace? I don't know. Um, I'm not yeah. particularly convinced that that is going to be the be all. They'll add features to it, yeah. I think, later that you can get more control over. One thing that, that that these announcements have also done is is gotten me even that much closer to uh, subscribing to their to that GPT Plus service for I think it's twenty dollars a month, right? I think it's that. Yeah. 
you know, and, and at first I was a little wary because I was like, I'm not doing a lot of development. I'm not, you know, I can still use some of these free ones, whether it's the Google one or the Bing, the Bing enhanced one that is still chat GPT. Um, but as they add more and more things to this, this subscriber service, I was like, yeah, you know what? I might, I might just have to kind of pull the trigger and, and, and get this, especially with Dolly three and the, and their image generator. It, it's, it's, Apparently, I mean, I've I've tried it through Bing, and it's really good. But I I should just go to the source, right? For sure, it's yeah. really good. Do you subscribe? Do you are you one of the subscribers to the service, or if, if you still waiting on the sidelines? I did when when it came out, yeah. Because again, everybody was threatening my job. They're like, <laughs> AIs are going to take your coding job, and yeah. you're not going to write code anymore. And then we all know that's complete garbage, but. Um, I, I did for a while and I, I very much enjoyed the expert features that were there. Uh, but I, I just, I turned it off because I didn't really derive a whole lot of value from just being able to, to add certain personas because in my, in my daily work, we use things like GitHub Copilot, right? If you've heard of that, yep. there, there are iterations of large language models that are trained on software. And, and that's what we use instead of chat GPT, because I can, I like to say I can Google, I know again, millennial, <laughs> like I know how to Google a thing. I've done it my whole life. Like developers are really just professional Googlers. Um, and so that I didn't really see much of much um, lift to the features at that point. But I think the newer things that they're coming out with, I'm definitely looking back into it because yeah. I think it has some 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 sex appeal to to using it on my average everyday life. But it's certainly not something that right. you know back then uh, turned out to be you know worth worth the twenty bucks. I, I was detecting some sarcasm there, Jeremy, which uh, leads me to my my next story that I want to talk about. So our our pal Elon Musk this week unveiled uh, Grok, G-R-O-K, which is an artificial intelligence chatbot that has a rebellious streak inspired by the uh, sci-fi story uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, the Tesla CEO who was warned last, who warned, who once warned last week that AI was one of the biggest threats to humanity, uh, said the competitor to ChatGPT would be made available to premium subscribers on his X platform, which is, as we all know, is formerly Twitter, uh, after some testing. Musk also revealed that Grok has access to user posts on X, which he owns, and has a penchant for sarcastic responses. I think the first part of that is the terrifying thing for me is that, um, does that mean that it's using Twitter posts to train the data for its AI. Is that what you yes. picked? Yeah. Boy, that's, <laughs> that's what it's doing. That's terrifying. Uh, all right. So uh, there were a couple of examples that, that Musk posted of its quote unquote playful tone uh, with a screen, with a screenshot of a query to the chatbot asking it for a step-by-step guide to making cocaine. Uh, the four steps outlined in the reply include obtain a chemistry degree and set up a clandestine laboratory in a remote location. And then at the end it said, Oh, I'm just kidding. Please don't actually try to make cocaine. It's illegal, dangerous, and not something I would ever encourage. And then in the other one, he had this, this long thing about giving me news about Sam Bankman fried who was found guilty last, you know, a few weeks ago in his cryptocurrency trial. And it's just, it's, 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 it's newsy, but it's also, you know, somewhat, Hey, Hey, funny, sarcastic. Um, what it reminded me of was, was those, do you remember those meta chatbot AIs that were based on like Tom Brady and Mr. Mm-hmm. Beast and Ky- uh, Kylie Jenner, I think was one of them. Like when tech companies try to pretend to be funny, it's, it's, it generally not funny or not, as, as weird as it. So a uh, question for you, Jeremy, D- does the world need a, a sarcastic AI or a sarcastic GPT? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, the, the short answer. Yeah, anything, no, it doesn't. Would you expect anything less from this guy? Right. I mean, <sighs> that that's his MO and plus training your, your, your large language model on one of the primary sources of vitriol in the world, which is Twitter. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a very interesting choice. Honestly, this is a publicity stunt, right? It's, it's pretty obvious to anybody, uh, in the technology world that this is a thing that he's doing to try and gain some additional likes, views and subscribes, which, okay, I get it. That, that makes sense, I suppose. But if, if the people who are going to use this are folks that just literally like to, to read this type of stuff every yeah. day. And I, I don't like your average human being is going to get tired of this after two or three tries and then move on with their lives. Uh, because nobody can with, withstand that amount of sarcasm every single day and every interaction they have. <laughs> I I know. And, and sarcasm is one of those things where you have to, it, it's almost like using profanity. You have to sprinkle yeah. it in. It has to make right. an impact when you use it versus, you know, someone when you're, when you're a middle school kid, you just use it every other word and you have to learn how to use profanity and sarcasm in the right situations. And, right. um, I, you know, I, I don't need an AI to, to, be sarcastic with me. I have enough other sarcastic humans that I deal with. Uh, I just want accurate responses and, and, and Indeed. using, using Twitter as a database is, is just terrifying to me. Indeed. And I think the other probably unintended consequence of this is that folks who get a hold of this, who don't need to get a hold of this, that sort of drive them towards poor behavior. That That's another thing. A lot of people don't think about in the technology space is I'm producing something that, you know, could potentially cause some issues socially. And again, you know, people are responsible for their own actions. And, you know, if someone reads this and goes off and does something very, very drastic and, and bad, yeah. um, it, it I, it's very difficult in our legal system to kind of link that back, going back to like video games in the early um, 2000s and 1999s, where there was this huge like push in Congress to state that, you know, Grand Theft Auto caused uh, an individual to go out and, and perform robberies and carjackings. It's very hard to link that back to digital media and it always has been. So I don't think he's going to get in trouble. But at the same time, think about what you're doing. Like, are, is it really worth um, the time and the money to spend to to add something to the world that just simply stirs up vitriol and, and yeah. causes people to make poor decisions? You know, yeah. I don't I, I don't agree with that, particularly from just a, a moral and ethics perspective. But again, it's, you know, free speech and a free country sure. can do what he wants. Yeah. From, from, from the news business side of things, it's, it's great news for us because now we can subscribe to it and just wait for this AI to do something or say something really <laughs> stupid. And then we can get some more yeah. clicks on it or, or content for this show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but so we'll be following it. I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be some more news on it uh, as it comes out. Uh, third story. I, I want to talk about this week with, with some, AI stuff is that Samsung Electronics has introduced a new Gen AI model, hinting that the software will be coming to its devices soon. So I would I would assume that you're going to start seeing these things on your Samsung Galaxy uh, device, maybe maybe inherently built in and embedded into it. Um, so Samsung said its technology, which is is now calling Samsung. Gauss, Gauss, G-A-U-S-S. Gauss, uh, yeah, it's Gauss. Gauss, yeah. Now, you know, the AI model is named after Carl Friedrich Gauss, the legendary mathematician who established normal distribution theory, the backbone of machine learning and AI. Why do these, yeah. why do these AIs have to have I, I, dumb I, and dumb names? I like the name. I, I really do. like the name. Because I, I know if Apple releases their uh, okay. AI, it's going to be the IAI. 
<laughs> or, or they'll call it Apple AI, right? Or or just Apple AI, or or some other kind of like Gen Z or hippie name. You know, I I don't know. <laughs> well, they'll they'll have to do something with Siri, though, right? Well, they will will because you know they're gonna have to kick Siri to the curb at some point if they come probably, up with a new one. Probably. Maybe. The name to me invokes the horror of physics at Georgia Tech. Because of <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm uh-uh. every time I see it, I just kind of melt inside. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's almost like a lot of these tech companies are trying to prove how smart or geeky they are. Yeah. And they'll be like, well, we'll just come up with this, you know, and I, I wouldn't say that he's obscure because I, I, you know, I had heard of him. Um, but, you know, the, it, it's like Google came up with the thing called Bard. And, and that's, yeah. you know, that invokes for me, it invokes, you know, the, the, the D and D character class that, you know, sings along with you and, and yes. is supposed to buff your character, but doesn't really produce much when you're in a party with, with him. Now we've had a friend who's been playing a bard in one of our games and he's, he, you know, the character is generally relatively useless. <laughs> um, yes. Except Correct. for when he isn't. And, and so, uh, yeah, but, you know, but then, you know, and then also that makes me think of Monty Python and the, you know, you know, the guy with the clippity clop and singing the song of Sir Robin. And wow, we're going really down this geek rabbit hole. Um, I, the, the point of the I'm going to bring us back. The point of the Samsung uh, version is that it does get a jump start on whatever Apple might introduce at some point. Um, so, you know, let's see what features they have. Uh, generative language model that can help compose emails and translate content as well as enhance the consumer's experience by enabling smarter device control when integrated products. So basically doing things that you can already do if you take the time to learn it, it sounds like. So the, the reason this is news is because, um, we live in a world where you have a supercomputer in your pocket, right? Yep. When yeah. I was growing up working on the T-Mobile sidekick, right? That was my first job out of college. If anybody even remembers that. I like do remember that, answer. Jeremy. That was a, that was an interesting device. It was amazing. I loved it. And to this day, I still think it's one of the coolest devices I've ever worked on in my career. But um, back then, we had an ARM 9 processor that ran at like 985 megahertz. And for the non-geek, that's basically a lawnmower engine. Um, and these days... Like you literally have a supercomputer in your pocket. And this is news because it's it's basically pointing to the idea that as technology moves at the speed of Moore's law, which is, again, a nerdy thing that talks about that computing speed doubles, which yep. we plateaued, by yep. the way. Right. Um, and we've started building like multi-parallelism into our processors and creating kind of these really cool hardware pipelines that handle artificial intelligence. This is news because they're saying that we have developed a, a, a large language model or some form of GPT type thing that will run on um, Apple or excuse me, this is Samsung hardware. So this is like your arms and your Qualcomm Snapdragons, yep. like the less fast versions of these chipsets and that's a big deal like that means we've kind of iterated towards building more and more hardware that can implement these models because it takes a long time to train a gpt on anything um just because of the nature that again it, it just takes all this data synthesizes it and figures out exactly how it's going to use that to respond to queries so it's it's actually pretty cool news because it's talking about how fast hardware is getting right um but again it will eventually plateau it just it yeah. just takes more time D does this also move us toward uh the world where uh we might start seeing devices that are specifically designed to be a ChatGPT AI assistant slash co-pilot. Uh, there was a story yeah. a few weeks ago. Remember, uh, so they had Johnny Ive 
who was the big Apple genius of design for, you know, he mm-hmm. was like the Steve Jobs right hand man. Uh, you know, he was always in these videos, you know, explaining how beautiful every product that Apple ever made was, was, was awesome. Uh, and so he left the company a few years ago, but now he's teaming up with OpenAI. And so the thought when that news came out was that they're going to develop some kind of portable AI device type thing uh, that will revolutionize the world because it'll be the most awesome looking thing ever. Uh, and it'll be on the most awesome GPT thing ever. Um, and then I started thinking, it was like, well, why would I want that if I have it on my phone? Which is a, you know, which can also take pictures, by the way. And so I, you know, I'm a little skeptical about any future device that might do it, but people are still going to try it. Um, and yeah. so I think that's why Apple at some point will have to put this on their phone. They're not going to make a standalone device. Right. I mean, do you remember back when the cryptocurrency, like Ethereum was a big deal that people were literally spending like $7,000 for the new NVIDIA chipset to go in their mining machines? I mean, (laughs) hardware specifically designed to solve a problem has been around for a very long time. Like back when I was taking compilers courses at Georgia Tech in my master's degree, right? And the idea that, you know, you're creating custom hardware to solve problems is, is the next iteration of that Moore's Law thing I was talking about earlier. And I think you look at how Apple has approached the whole system on a chip idea, like gone are the days of I have a GPU and a CPU and a this and a that. We're moving more towards what's called a system on a chip, which means everything is in one package, just linked with little silicon bridges. So it mm-hmm. goes incredibly fast. That to me, building a custom piece of hardware that will run AI is a good iteration of that. But eventually they're going to have to fold it all into one like Apple's doing. Like, again, I'm not an Apple fanboy, but they're doing yeah. a really good job with developing the M1s and the M2s and kind of creating an ecosystem where it can do everything that it needs to do to solve these kinds of problems on your device. <clears throat> yeah, we, we we definitely have a, a bunch of Apple fanboys on other episodes of so you don't have to be the Apple fanboy either. Chris, did you have I have to- a Mac. I don't like PC, by the way. I'm sorry. I worked for Microsoft for a while. Steve Ballmer's version of Microsoft. No, thank you. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I like my Mac a lot. Uh, I just don't yeah. fanboy them. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Here's the new new iPhone. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> is that the one with the titanium case? It is, yes. Oh, and no, Jeremy. No, you've done. Uh, no, come on, man. Jer- Jerry Rig Everything did a great uh, video on how to break <laughs> this thing. So I know it's completely flawed, but it's all good. All right. Well, because so the, just just for your information, Jeremy, you know, I'm I'm still on a 13 and and uh, Chris is on what year four of your Google Pixel 4a. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a 4a. Yeah, he, he's the voice yeah. of the people because we did a little short how he was saying he doesn't get a new phone for every five years. And and that little YouTube short just blew up our channel. So um, nice. I'm so excited I, about my Apple superiority then. <laughs> well, yeah. OK, we're, we're going to I'm going to move on. So uh, we got to some other stories. Uh Related to AI, the the actor strike is finally over, and uh, obviously there was a number of different concessions that they had. They there were some probably there's some streaming media uh, uh, compensation now. Um, they have not yet released a lot of the details about the AI. That's where I was interested in it. Was this you know p- uh, potential for actors to be replaced by AI avatars and and other sorts of technology? Uh, the studios were starting to do some really kind of backhanded sneaky things where all of the background actors were being scanned uh, for 
for future use so that if you start in the world as a background actor and then become famous, they've got your skin and then they can do whatever they want with it. Um, I think the regular actors were really worried about that. There was one of when the talks were breaking down last week, there was a proposal that the studios were like, yeah, we're going to scan all of the actors and then hold their rights in perpetuity. And that was just like, there's not, that's no way. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm uh, curious to see what will happen. Uh, when those details come out for uh, some AI protections. Um, but I think, you know, the bigger picture is, is that, you know, there was some uh, a group that took a stand against kind of AI, um, especially in the in the visual and video angle of it. So um, th- anyway, I don't we don't have to, to dwell on this unless you have any thoughts, Jeremy, about um, about this. Uh, I mean, I guess it means, you know, that, you know, they can shoot the new Deadpool movie now. That's one of the first that, things they're bringing that's, back. That's what I want. I just want more Deadpool. Yeah. Um, to be I, this, this is such a Pandora's box that is we could do an entire um, conversation yeah. around yeah. the and, privacy and, concerns yep. of artificial intelligence. And I have to say, I very much appreciate the 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 strikers and the folks that stood their ground because our legislation hasn't even really caught up with what ai is like there are people in congress that have no effing clue what this does right and they're trying to make legislation around how people can can protect themselves because i mean what if I go out and, and I'm just walking by and somebody like films me right. And in an open movie, all of a sudden, do they have the rights to me as a human as my, my image? No, absolutely not. They should not right. I have a right to privacy. And anyway, there's, there's a huge, huge problem with AI and with, with how privacy has just literally not been thought about. It's an afterthought. People are so focused on the types of problems it can solve that they're not thinking about the controls that need to be in place to prevent um, very nefarious things. And uh, I think the studios were completely out of line by stating that we scan you, we own you. That's garbage. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, we don't even, even on this show, Jeremy, now we've, we've had you on the show for about 30 minutes, I would say, and we've probably got enough audio and video of you now that we can just create an AI version of you. Um, yeah. You, you don't even have to do <laughs> the, the four shows now. <laughs> it won't be as sarcastic as me. Because oh, but we're going to, we're going to grab Elon, Elon Musk's thing. sarcastic AI and, and, and then, then feed that through the voice cloner. And, and, and then yeah. at some point the video cloner, all three of us are going to be basically AI cloned probably in about 60 years. Um, that'll be great yeah well see the benefit of is that is that we're not that popular yet and so um i think i think we're still safe and we're flying under the radar we won't we won't get the attention until unless we blow up and then become popular like some of these other influencers so all right all right and finally i've got to keep i want to keep the show moving along uh uh our last ai story at least for for this week is that uh ai was named the most notable word of 2023 by Collins Dictionary. I didn't even know there was another dictionary other than Webster's. Uh, but uh, yeah, in, in the least surprising news of the week, I guess, AI was named the most notable word of 2023, defined as, quote, the modeling of human mental functions by computer programs. Why do dictionaries have to define things? Well, I guess I just answered my own question. <laughs> Um, so anyway, AI was chosen as the word of the year. I'm sure that the Webster's people or whatever other dictionaries are out there will also choose that word. Um, what's always fascinating is to see what other words were, were, were in the running. Uh, so do you want to hear the words, Jeremy? I do actually. Okay. So do you, now tell me if you've ever used these, these words in a conversation. Uh, okay. The first one was greedflation. What? Greedflation. 
All the time, man. Okay. Yeah. What? It, sorry, this is defined as the use of inflation as an excuse to raise prices to artificially high levels in order to increase corporate profits. So I guess okay. that would be, include cereal makers uh, and uh, potato chips because uh, those prices. I mean, seven dollars. I bought some ruffles the other day, and it was seven dollars. Seven dollars for a thing of ruffles, man. Seven dollars. That's, that's insane. No, thank you. Like that's actually curved my spending of of snack foods. To be honest, I have become very healthy. <laughs> Since the inflation, I think I've lost 10, 15 pounds. Nice. Well, I'm shredded head to toe. Yeah, all right. Show, show me. Show, <laughs> take your camera. Because this is one of the put, put the camera on yourself, Chris. Uh, sure. Because this is one of those rare yeah. things where you shaved your beard. Yeah, I have I a for, neck. You have I, I have a neck and uh, my it, chin is incredible. And in small. about a week, you'll you'll grow up back and then it'll be better than mine again. Uh, all right. So people can't complain that healthy food is more expensive than cheap than, than garbage now, though, at least. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. All right. So another one was debanking. Have you heard of that for that phrase? No, I've never no, heard of it. I haven't. Apparently, that's the act of depriving a person of banking facilities. Uh, Nepo baby was one of the concerns. Nepo I have heard baby. of that. Which is, you know, the sons and daughters of celebrities whose careers are assumed to have taken off thanks to their famous parent. And the last one was de-influencing. That just means canceled. Yes, I guess. <laughs> well, it's defined by the uh, the use of social media to warn followers to avoid certain commercial products, lifestyle choices, etc. So I, I think it was a slam dunk for AI in terms of the the battle for the word of the year, um, which really is is you don't need to focus too much energy on that anyway. Oh, there's more words. Oh. I didn't. I didn't see the other ones. Or, huh. or some of the other ones. Or, or if you just scroll, keep scrolling oh. down. Like yeah. uh, ultra processed, semaglutide, <laughs> basball. What's basball? A style of test cricket in which the batting side plays in a highly aggressive manner. Oh, okay. Well, this is a Guardian story, so this was UK focused. Yeah. Um, and I think that dictionary might be a. Uh, uh, a UK-based dictionary. Oh, oh, oh so right, so right. maybe maybe Webster's hasn't come out yet. Right. Maybe they're still debating whether you know AI or maybe they'll 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 claim Gen AI is the better term uh, for the word of the year. True. I wish it was my podcast would be the word of the year, but I don't know. I got like <laughs> why can't we just have Tech Talk as the word of the year? Then we'll get more viewers. All right. We're gonna not talk about AI for the rest of the show until we do. Uh, but there are two there are two or three different stories related to tablets that I wanted to bring up, Jeremy. Um, so our our sister publication, our sister company, IDC, uh, has a new report out that said worldwide tablet shipments posted a decline of fourteen point two percent year over year in the third quarter of of twenty three. Uh, and despite constricted demand, the market saw an upsurge of eighteen percent over the previous quarter. Um, in the meantime, Chromebook shipments also contracted in the third quarter with shipments totaling about 3.5 million units. Um, and so tablets and Chromebooks are going down. And the reason uh, was, uh, there's a quote in here that I wanted to read, was uh, the first three quarters of 2023 recorded some of the largest contractions in the tablet market. And the upcoming holiday season isn't expected to be very different. With no dramatic improvements in macroeconomic conditions, project and purchase delays are expected to be pushed further into 2024. Refreshing the education segment and growth in use cases across verticals might help the tablet market to stay afloat in the long run, but the near future, we don't expect any significant uptick in tablet sales. Um, there was also another story when Apple had its earnings uh, announcement basically saying that there's an overall earnings slump despite record iPhone and some of their services space, but they did not launch a new iPad. 
And so yeah. what I'm wondering is, is that with this story and the other story, uh, is, is there, is there going to be like, are we going to eventually not have tablets and iPads or at least to the extent of where that was another one of those devices that everybody would, would buy. I've got some examples from my own life, but Jeremy, I wanted to hear from you. Uh, yeah, I you think, know, what's, um, what's your take on tablets these days? Yeah, I think that this is sort of an indicator that we don't really know what to do with tablets. Um, yeah. Like the education segment uses them a lot. My sister's a teacher and um, there's a lot of really good applications for tablets um, for learning, right? It's a, it's a good sort of tactile interface. And when I was at Georgia Tech, I, I worked on uh, with the, the GVU lab there and we did a lot of stuff with sort of early multi-touch drivers. So we were kind of on the cutting edge of, of seeing the evolution of the iPhone and the iPad sort of come out. Yes, I'm that old. Um, and, and the cool thing was that back then tablets were very, they were designed to fit into this concept of what's called ubiquitous computing. Right? Yeah. And the entire premise of UbiComp is that it's invisible. And you, you walk over to your tablet, you pick it up, you do something on it, you put it down, you walk away. That really has been lost, I think, for 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 many reasons. I think a lot of people use their tablets for more artistic things because of the natural way you interface with it. But your average human being, um, what are they going to use when they need to go to the internet? This yeah. thing right here, yep. right? It's yep. the phone. This will replace tablets. And, and plus, this thing is huge. Like, the screens are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and they have the whole folding ones now. Like, there's some really cool innovations from a hardware perspective that I think are really just going to bring tablets back down to a natural position um, where their their focus is, is less about um, a leisure device and more about like education and learning and, and providing some some tactile feedback to what you're doing like for artists and stuff yeah <clears throat> chris did did you have do you have a tablet yet have you bought any of those no i yeah. i don't use a tablet but i was just going to say I, i'd have to agree with you that i, I do think the kind of like art sector is going to be one of the biggest users i mean yeah think about tattoo yeah. artists tattoo yep. artists they almost always use procreate and it's always on an ipad tablet yep and not only that but they artists too, anime right? artists cartoonists yeah. it's yeah. always a tablet because you do get that kind of you know natural workflow with it right because you know it's kind of it's like paper you know yeah. it's like paper yeah. so you can naturally draw on it and stuff like that but yeah no no it's yeah so so my so i've got i've got two i've got three kids and and two of my daughters um you use tablets well, one of them, she uses it when she's doing some theater stuff, and she uses that to take notes when she's um, uh, directing. She's she's an assistant director for the school play, and so she writes all of her notes out on a tablet because she's worked with other people in the theater business that that, that that's an easier way than using a notebook or or a computer to take notes. So there is there are some niche applications where I still still think it will exist. But then my youngest daughter, we bought her an iPad a couple of years ago for. A birthday gift and the thing is now sitting in in like a junk drawer um yeah. and i'm and she just i go do you want to use it she goes i just don't use it anymore because she's got her phone and she's and she's got a, a like a computer that she plays minecraft on she she doesn't need it but when they were little when they were you know three to five to seven years old the tablet was great because you could get all of these kids apps and they loved that tactile feel and it was a bigger screen at that point so i think it'll still exist but it won't be like the world where the tablet. Do you remember the days when the tablets were supposed to replace the, the computer? Like they were. Yeah, that was never going to happen. You, we saw a bunch <laughs> of. I had a bunch of tech journalist influencers that would show up at a conference and they would put their tablet down and then they 
pulled out their portable keyboard, which was Bluetooth, <laughs> and they would be like, ha, 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 I'm the future. And I was like, yeah, and here's my notebook, which is one device, and I don't have to have all right. of these accessories. Um, so, so you know, like the old tablets that were sort of invented in Xerox uh, were designed to replace paper. So, so I think we're all kind of hitting on something that these folks knew, at least back then, is the tablets are yeah. really their their killer app is replacing paper as a medium. Now, I still like writing paper. I have an iPad Pro, and I tried it to sort of replace my my laptop for about a week. And very quickly, I'm like, this is just nowhere. Like the operating system and the, the interface and how I'm interacting with this thing is nowhere near what I need to be able to do my job every day. But because the tablet itself was designed for finger touching. Yeah. It's not designed for clicking and moving. And he, I even have the little special keyboard with a little trackpad on it. And it's really cool and it works really nicely. But it's not the same as using a desktop by any shape, form, or right. fashion, especially right. being a developer. Yeah. Like, oh, know. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I. I always find it humorous when someone brings up the whole replacing paper uh, argument. Um, uh, you know, I just showed, here's all of my paper that I printed up for this show. Um, I've got some others and it, it always feels like it's, you know, there might be paper replacement for one group, but there are still people that print and, you know, there's still, I still have to buy toner and, and all that other stuff. Um, I, maybe it's been reduced, but I still feel like there's still going to be paper. Do you got any opinions on that, Jeremy? Well, you don't have to. I want to bring no, up yeah, the, for sure. Actually, yeah. I want to show you my little ruler. So I have a little ruler that I use to draw on oh, my notebook because nice. I'm a nerd. Nice. And it's great. Uh, yeah, I love paper. I, I Like I said, I tried for a long time to, to switch to the iPad, but I just prefer writing. And I know it's a lost art. Like kids these days, can they even write? Right? I don't know. Oh, I, I look at the handwriting of some of my kids and it's horrendous. And, and yeah. they barely know cursive. They only know cursive to sign checks and things like that from from their grandma <laughs> and that's it like like if we, if we ever if the gen x and the boomers ever go to war and and you probably know this too jeremy but if we ever go to war we're gonna we're gonna basically all go to analog clocks because they don't yep. know how to tell time without without a digital clock and then we're gonna write all of our messages in cursive Right, they'll never be able to read it. They'll, they'll, they'll be like, "What is this strange code thing that I've got?" All to, our cars will be stick shift, and and all the cars will be stick shift. There you go. Yep, there you go. I love stick shifts, man. Right. I grew up learning <laughs> on those. All right, one final tablet thing that I wanted to bring up: Lenovo. In the weirdest story or press release that I've seen in a long time, um, they unveiled a unique collaboration with fashion designers Ranra, Kitwan Studios, and. Mayum, I, I guess is how you pronounce it, to create the proof of concept Lenovo Tab Wear collection. The, the uh, quote unquote innovative functional and fashion forward collection incorporates a Lenovo tablet device into the garment design and is built for quote unquote me time. Uh, their vision for the future is the garments that like this concept collection will enable and use uh, users to take time for themselves and enjoy a respite from daily stress. By integrating a Lenovo tablet into the concepts, users can escape into their favorite leisure activities, both indoors and outdoors, whether immersing themselves in a show, browsing social media, or even pursuing creative projects. Oh, all right. I'm sorry, who who's going to wear this? Nobody. Absolutely, <laughs> Absolutely who's nobody. Who's going to wear this? Um, all right, I want to show the, the, the pictures. That first one that you've got on the screen there uh, is, this was the Kitwan Studios uh, one, which I think you can see on the screen. You've, you've seen these pictures, right, Jeremy? Yeah, that guy looks like a Jawa. So with the <laughs> the first the first one of the kitwear collection, those are the ones that, of all the people that are on the stairs. They're all wearing black. They all look like they belong either in the Matrix, 
uh, or they've taken a uh, uh, a garbage bag and just basically are wearing a, a garbage bag on on there as a coat. So the the next one, that's the hoodie one. That's sort of a, a rain gear hoodie thing, and you see a bunch of people holding tablets and wearing them. And then the third one, which is my favorite, is the um, this is pink and it's like a big giant poncho. I'm sorry, the poncho <laughs> poncho one. raincoat. No, 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 the one that looks it's like, like one a, of those things uh, you get in an Amazon box to protect. Yeah, or like a, a blow up mattress, like something you'd sleep on. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, and, then, and apparently it turns into a hammock. Can you see in the back there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you can now turn this into a hammock. Um, look, I, I like it, it. Fashion is interesting, but this is one of those things where fashion designers try to predict the future of what people are going to wear. And it's never, and it's usually very fit models and, and stuff that regular people wouldn't wear. Uh, or it's stuff like this, which is like, you're crazy. And, but, the reason I'm interested too is that I remember there was a uh, there was some fashion trends from about I want to say 10 to 15 years ago where there was if you you know you had a phone you had a tablet you had a, a laptop and you could wear jackets and shirts that um, had all of these different pockets I think I still um, own one of those I think I own a hoodie that has a bunch of different things within it. Um, and they just never go anywhere because like who wants to carry all that stuff around with them anyway, especially with a tablet. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't like like I keep my phone in my back pocket and every time I sit down, I feel like I'm, you know, like I've got a massive brick, you know, yeah. there. Can you can you imagine walking around with a tablet like plastered to your chest the way this pink <laughs> bubble suit thing is where it's like a piece of chain mail or it's like, you know, some kind of bulletproof vest? Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe. That's yeah. Insane. This is not wearable. Like, there, there's a whole wearable idea. Like, Thad Starner at Georgia Tech, a guy that I he did he did our AI courses, but he was well known for like having one of the first Google Glasses. As a matter of fact, Google stole him to go and build the Google Glass. Yeah, like that's true wearable, where it's more about it's it's uninvasive, it's cool, it's not harming me, it's not getting in the way. This is the complete opposite of that. This is ridiculous. Yeah, there's some stuff with in the world of like nanofibers where they're they're weaving it into. Uh, a, a, you know, a piece of clothing so that it can monitor your 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 temperature, yeah. your heart rate, things like that. That's kind of interesting as well. Um, one of the com- the company that made uh, a bunch of these hoodies things, they also sent me a pair of of boxer briefs that had a that had a pocket in them, so you <laughs> could actually take your phone and put it. <laughs> In the pocket of the boxer briefs. Um, I like that idea. And it was, you know, apparently the material was also sweat resistant and all other sorts of things that we won't go into. Um, But they just weren't comfortable and I never put my phone down there. So don't worry about it. Like, you know, it it was just a a weird idea that, that someone came up with. And I guess if you have enough weird ideas, if you have enough people that are interested in that weird idea, maybe you can get a business out of it. Um, but hopefully that this will be the last time that we see this uh, type of, of thing. All right. I want to wrap up. And, and Jeremy, this is your choice. You have two stories yes. to pick from in the world yes. of video games. Which one do you want to, which one do you want to go to? Let's talk Nintendo. My, my OG. Um, 
All right. I, I love I love I love this idea. Okay. So Nintendo announced this week that they are going to uh, develop a live action film of the Legend of Zelda, one of its most popular characters. Apparently, uh, Nintendo was very happy by the success of the Super Mario Brothers movie, which generated more than a billion dollars in the box office uh, since its April release. And after this announcement, the, the Nintendo shares surged six percent in Japan uh, on the news, uh, as well as when the company raised its sales and profit forecast for the photos. So let's get, let's get right into it. So I am not a Nintendo guy as much. I mean, I, I'm a Nintendo guy in, in terms of Mario Kart and some of the other Mario games. Um, I've yep. never, I, I was of the generation that was a little too old for Legend of Zelda. Um, I, so I've never, I haven't really played. I don't know the backstory and the history, um, but you, why don't you take it and tell me why this is a good idea? So, yeah, I, I was a Link to the Past guy. I'm not a Wind Waker sort of new age Zelda, which those have gotten critical acclaim. And I guess I'm missing out by not playing those games. But Zelda just had a really cool story. It's your typical trope of let's steal the princess and put her in a castle and you got to go storm the castle to get there. But mm-hmm. the game was just so beautiful and the soundtrack was amazing and it was so well built that this is just going to be a nostalgia bomb for me. Um, and I, I would be very excited if they did this right. Live action, again, I'm always skeptical about taking a video game and doing live action, like Resident Evil, if y'all remember that, uh, yep. Mila Jovovich and that whole sort of uh, train wreck of a series. Yeah, It's yep. one of those movies you put on, and it's fun to kind of have on the background, but you really don't, you expect it to not have plot and not to be like an interesting cerebral experience. Um, but, but in particular, I think if they do it right, this could have a, this could be a really, really good video game ad- adaptation, of which there are very few. I think there's maybe two or three I can think of that I respect. Oh, wait, The Last of Us. That the last I, of just, was, I just yeah, remembered. That I was, just remembered that. That was yeah, pretty good. That yeah, was, that, was that was pretty good. Yes, I agree. Um, that, I'm interested in why would they go live action when they had the success with the Mario Brothers as an animated CGI type film? Like, why not just use the same thing and then just do a Zelda movie with the animation versus you know, live action. Cause it feels like live action could go well, horribly wrong. At some well, point look too. at the live action Mario movie. They made what? 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> the one that, that caused the, the, them to go back to CGI. Well, it's got John Lig- like Leguizamo. Leguizamo yeah. and yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So I think for Mario, it made sense to keep it, you know, cartoonish, cartoonish. you know, CGI. But I think with, with, uh, Zelda, you know, kind of like the art style and kind of like, it, I think it can be attainable in the live action format. You know what I mean? Because I'm thinking like medieval, kind of like fantasy, Lord of the Rings type. You know, so it can kind of it might it could work. It could work. Yeah, I mean, when they did the Dungeons and Dragons movie as a live action, that ended up being pretty good. I I liked yeah. it as a fan of D and D. Now, if you weren't into the D and D universe, you might not have enjoyed the movie as much. Um, again, some of these films are built for fans first, and I have a feeling this is what it would be. Um, Jeremy, got any ideas of, of of any kind of fan casting of you know who who's going to be Link, who would be Zelda? Oh, I don't man, know. I have Those no are the idea. two characters I know from the game. Are there other <laughs> game? Are there other people that? Uh, yeah, I have no clue. Okay. I think, though, going back to the live action comment, like Japan has this propensity to do that. Like if you look at animes, like they did a live action of Bleach for some reason. Right. Like, right. Do I don't know. Right. It's like it's a thing they do. And and it, it I agree with with your statement, Chris, that 
this is set up, I think, to be a good live action film as yeah. opposed to I would argue that D&D probably isn't a wouldn't have been set up well, even though it was a good movie, because it's kind of live action in air quotes. Yeah, because right? you're 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 running around and LARPing and then they're just putting a bunch <laughs> of CGI around you to make it look cool. And, and that's awesome. And that's a real it makes for a very good and entertaining movie. But I, I don't I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm on the fence. I think they could do it really, really well. Again, if they casted the right people, again, I don't know. Maybe but, but, Keanu Reeves is like, come on. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. It'll be it'll be Timothy Chalamet, who, the guy that's going to be in Dune. Like he seems to be the 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 hot actor at the moment for all of these things. Well, or look at, Tom Holland. You could get the Spider Man guy. To be short, though. true, true. Right. Isn't Tom Holland pretty short? Uh, I don't know. Maybe you get Daniel Radcliffe. Know. Remember, there were rumors of him being Wolverine, and then I, and then he had yeah. to shoot those down. I think I think we're in a period of time right now, and, and I'm just taking a wild guess here, but I, I think we might be more accepting to let's say uh, like adaptations, anime adaptations, or game adaptations. I think specifically like right now. I mean, if we look at the success of uh, One Piece, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at the yeah, One Piece. One Piece. I, I love that, by the way. It's a great series. Yeah, oh, good, I, good. We're going to keep you on the show now. That's I, good, because we're both fans, too. I was watching it, and I'm like, <laughs> thinking to myself, like, this is kind of goofy, but at the same time, it was, the story was done so well, how they adapted. It's yeah. like, all right, I I can give him a pass on that. Yeah. I can give him a pass on that. When you compare that to other series that have come out, other adaptations that have come out, it's like... It felt more put together. Yeah. Even though, yeah, it was a little goofy. It was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a, a pass on that. Yeah, and but. as long as Nintendo has a lot of the control over where the story goes and what story they do. Just be faithful to the source material. Okay. That's really, yeah. just be faithful yeah. to it. Don't make any big drastic changes and so, so Jeremy, will be fine. Yeah, Jeremy, I don't know if you knew that I had a rant about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, no, I did not. I, I just despised it because I just thought the, the writing and the dialogue was so bad. Um, and it's almost like they did it intentionally to try to uh, appeal to the younger audience who doesn't mm-hmm. care about dialogue and, and, you know, they just wanted to see the jokes. And then, and then they were, they did the fan service and the fans probably didn't care because they had been waiting for 30 years for a good Super Mario Brothers movie that they were letting the willing, they were willing to let that stuff go. But if you rewatch the, the Mario Brothers movie, it's awful, awful writing, and the and and the, and the voice acting just felt like they didn't care. So yeah, yeah, it, it, I agree with that. I, I thought it was I thought it was very, um, well, very poorly written. And I'm a fan of dialogue, right? Firefly yeah. is one of my favorite series, right? Joss Whedon, amazing yeah. dialogue yeah. It, it yep. is what makes a movie and it, what makes a series for me. Um, and I agree it was it was terrible. And if if with the Legend of Zelda movie, I think keep it dark, right? If you want my yeah. J-Dub's heart take, hot take, excuse me, keep it dark uh, because the original games were fairly dark. Um, you know, Link to the Past has a pretty dark story. You know, some of the, uh, you know, the newer um, entries in the series are, are fairly dark. And I, I think if you kind of make it cartoony gumball, like, you know, super bright, that uh, it will turn off some of the actual fans of the game itself. Yeah. Anything else, Chris? The no, cool? All no, right. That, that's it for me. Jeremy, again, awesome debut, and uh, we can't wait to talk to you next week. Uh, and uh, thanks again for for joining us as the first official guest host uh, of Today in Tech. We'll, uh, we'll we'll I'll send a certificate your way. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. All right. um, I'm happy to rant about random nonsense anytime you'll have that's, that's That's what this show is all about, random nonsense. Uh, all right. Thanks again. And uh, thanks, thank you for watching. That's all the time we have on this week's episode. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, add any thoughts that you have on uh, below. Tell us what you think about the live action Zelda movie. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.